Welcome to the Get Fire Smart Podcast, a place to listen, learn, and hear from fire smart leaders to understand how to implement fire smart strategies and activities to protect your home, neighborhood, and community from the threat of wildfire. On the show, we interview fire smart leaders from across the world to share stories that provide practical tips and lessons to get fire smart. From community leaders to firefighting professionals to passionate homeowners, we dive into the stories of FireSmart and how you, our listeners, can learn the practical steps you can take to begin your FireSmart journey. And now, it's time to get FireSmart. Today we're speaking with Daniel Berlant, Deputy Director with CAL FIRE. This episode was live recorded at the Wildfire Resiliency and Training Summit. During the summit, several CAL FIRE team members came out to speak on their learnings and lessons throughout their time with CAL FIRE. In our conversation with Daniel, he shares lessons and learnings that CAL FIRE has implemented over the last several years as their organization has grown and adapted to the threat of wildfire. We chat about CAL FIRE as an organization, their people, their processes, and their equipment. This is a great conversation to learn from an expert on wildfire and to hear some of the lessons and learnings of how as an organization CAL FIRE has adapted and grown to the threat of wildfire. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Today is your second day in Canada. How's it been so far? It's absolutely beautiful. I could not have asked for uh, for better weather. In fact, I think the weather today here is better than what it's been in California. The last couple of weeks have been kind of rainy, so it's beautiful here. Well, it's special to have you guys here. And how many of team members from CAL FIRE coming down for the conference? Uh, we brought four uh, folks um, from varying programs, our communications program, uh, our aviation and fleet uh, uh, program, as well as our command and control uh, fire protection program. And then myself, uh, responsible for fire prevention. So we have a, a good uh, diverse group of, of folks um, to, to really um, participate in some good dialogue this week. Amazing. And maybe just for our listeners, give us a quick background on yourself, uh, your role, and maybe a high level. I think most people might have heard of CAL FIRE, but maybe just a high-level overview of the organization, and then we can dive into a lot of similarities and lessons learned as well. Yeah, so I'll start with the organization and then uh, explain my role in it. So CAL FIRE is essentially the state of California's fire and forestry department. Uh, We are essentially responsible for about a third of California in in protecting and preventing wildfires. Um, These are typically the rural areas that experience some of the most devastating wildfires. But we're also uh, a municipal fire department as well, uh, handling uh, all types of emergencies from vehicle accidents to structure fires. Uh, and we, we contract with a number of cities uh, and counties uh, within our state. And so we really are an all-risk um, fire department, um, but we're also a forestry department. We, we handle um, the regulations related to ensuring ecosystem benefits of, of healthy forests and, and uh, things related to just environmental health in California. And then in my role, uh, we have a fire prevention, a major fire prevention mitigation uh, component, whether it be uh, in the wildland, but also in buildings, how we build our our, our, our buildings, the fire codes, um, even uh, pipelines that run uh, underground, we are we have responsibility uh, for, for those as well. And so we're a, a very diverse organization, over 11,000 uh, firefighters, first responders, uh, and uh, support uh, team members, all the way from 
fire captains that are flying on helicopters mm. to, to fires, to uh, lifeguards, um, to administrative analysts, to pipeline operator engineers and everything in between. So a very large uh, organization. Uh, my role, I am the acting state fire marshal. Uh, so I am responsible for primarily the fire prevention elements of our organization. And whether that be um, through engineering, uh, whether that be through development of codes, uh, enforcement, mm. uh, education, but, but really focus on on fire prevention. Uh, as the acting state fire marshal, I've, I have responsibilities, not just in the wildland areas, but also uh, in the built environment. However, uh, I'm acting, so I have two jobs. Uh, my, my primary role in the organization is I'm a deputy director of the department uh, over a fairly new division called Community Wildfire Preparedness and Mitigation. Hmm. Uh, and in that division, uh, it was a recent consolidation of all of our mitigation uh, and fire prevention uh, functions from defensible space, that's uh, the removal of vegetation on uh, around people's homes uh, to home hardening, which is retrofitting and building homes to a, a higher standard to uh, utility wildfire mitigation. Uh, our statistics program, our uh, pre-fire planning program, where we decide to do fuel treatments, right. things like that. Um, and so we have a whole host of, of different prevention uh, elements and, and the team that I work with, uh, we are focused on preventing uh, wildfires and really mitigating the damage uh, from these wildfires. Wow. I... To understand the complexity and the size of Cal Fire's organization is pretty impressive. Just to get, just to learn from you and just that quick overview of the different roles and capability. That's that's pretty astonishing. Has it always been that size and that that level of detail? No, I mean we have grown uh, as an organization um, tremendously. Uh, we've been around for uh, over a hundred years, um, and and our roots of our agency as a department of forestry really was the protection of the watershed uh, in in our timber, in our forest, making mm. sure that that water quality for for those residents in California stayed pristine, uh, and that we protected our forest because that was a, a major economic driver of, of our, our state a uh, hundred years ago, and and for for many decades um, to follow. But uh, as evolution of, of many agencies and many states, obviously our state is nearly 40 million people now yeah. uh, in California. So it's just grown um, tremendously. And so our wow. mission has, has grown with that and has our size, uh, you know, making sure that as people live in wildland areas, uh, which there are several million people who live in, in what we call the wildland urban interface, um, we've had to grow. So we've added uh, a significant amount of, of fire resources, whether it be fire engines, uh, aircraft, helicopters, bulldozers, um, mechanical equipment to do fuel reduction work. We've, we've really grown that. In fact, um, you know, it wasn't more than maybe a decade ago that our budget was uh, somewhere in the realm of about a billion dollars, uh, which was a huge amount. We're now a $4 billion organization. Um, we've grown from 10 years ago being uh, closer to maybe 7,000 uh, mm. to 8,000 people. Now we have over 11,000 firefighters uh, and, and other team members. So yeah. as wildfires have become more uh, impactful in California, as our population has increased, um, so has um, our response our funding, and our resources. It's amazing just to understand the growth of that organization, which is pretty amazing. Naturally, you said, as we build more into the interface, demands increase, population increases. But maybe just speak to culturally as an organization, you know, I talk about wildfire fighting to anyone, the general public, and they often assume it just to be in a response organization. So lightning strikes, fire ignites, put water on it, put it out when you talk about the dynamics changing of, of wildfires in general, how has the organization changed? And I think this is a trend across all wildfire organizations is just, we're not just putting the fire out, it's, it's preparedness, it's education, it's 
the building products we use for our homes. So maybe just talk about the cultural change a little bit in the organization and what that's led to across Cal Fire. Yeah, well, you know, the culture has changed uh, quite a bit here in just the recent years, but but really going back um, over the last 100 years, we've really changed from being a seasonal forestry agency um, in the summertime during peak uh, fire season, um, protecting the trees and dealing more with forestry related issues to really morphing into uh, a, a very large uh, fire department. In fact, really, we are the largest fire department in, in the United States when you look at our, our total staffing and really becoming a year round agency. Uh, but in the last couple of years, we've really come to this realization, uh, not only because of the, the significant impact. And when I talk about impact, I mean, millions of hectares of California have burned. Mm. Uh, 50,000 homes and buildings have been destroyed in just the last five years. Uh, well over 100 people have died in these fires. So we've had just major impact from these wildfires in the last couple of years. And, and as a result, we've really had to, to kind of take a step back. Yes, we're still investing and growing in our fire suppression and in that response uh, area. However, we've really taken a new focus on wildfire resiliency, mm. uh, whether that be preparedness and prevention uh, and, and focusing on the communities or our forest health elements. And so really in the last couple of years, we have seen a major increase. In fact, uh, an investment of over $2.7 billion in just the last couple of years, specifically focused on wildfire mitigation, forest health and resiliency and not just money to our organization uh, as a state agency, mm-hmm. uh, but money that we've granted out to local communities, um, to local fire safe councils, to our tribal organizations, uh, and making sure that we're, we're helping local projects uh, in this space. And so back to the culture, it has changed over a hundred years, but it has really dramatically, the focus um, of our communities have changed in, in needing to make sure that we are doing things before these fires start. Because again, we we can mm. have all of the best equipment and we do. We are very proud of um, the helicopter fleet, the Blackhawk helicopters that we have, that we call Firehawks. Um, uh, we are uh, retrofitting C-130 aircraft, large aircraft that, that historically have been uh, military aircraft putting large water tanks in them. Mm. So we have definitely, you know, still have a a very heavy um, and very strong fire protection and response side of things, but we can't respond our way out of this wildfire crisis. Mm. And so prevention, mitigation, preparedness, these are all things that my team and myself and all of California are really focused on um, because that is part of our strategy. And I should mention in California, our strategy is really kind of threefold when it comes to to dealing with the wildfire crisis. We look specifically at the parcel level, at the individual homeowners making sure that they're building their homes first off of wildfire resistant building materials Mm -hmm. uh, or retrofitting their homes with materials to help them withstand embers uh, from wildfires, making sure they've cleared vegetation around their home. We call that defensible space. We require clearance of uh, around every single home in the wildland uh, urban interface. So that's that partial levels, that first one. The next one, as as we take a step out is community-based, doing fuel breaks in and around community community hardening so that you have roadways for emergency access, water supply for when a wildfire does break out. And then the third element of the strategy is really the forest health, managing our forests. Many of our forests in California, mostly owned by the federal government. So the state does not necessarily control them. The state actually owns very little forest. Most of our forested land in California is owned by the federal government, United States of America, uh, and private companies. 
And so we have to really work with other individuals in helping them manage their forests. Uh, but we've had so many major fires that have occurred in these forests that are overgrown, they're unhealthy. Mm. So when they do catch on fire, you add a changing climate and weather conditions that just allow fires to grow explosively, but there's so much fuel built up into the forest. And one of our issues that we've had uh, in droughts is uh, the result of uh, bark beetles and other insects that, that are killing our trees. And so now we have millions of dead trees in these overgrown forests that aren't being treated and they all just become kindling uh, for wildfire. So coming back, our strategy is parcel level, community-based uh, and forest health. And we believe that really focusing on those three resiliency foundational points are what are going to really help us um, not just reduce the number of wildfires, but more importantly, reduce the impact from these fires. It's amazing as you list off the equipment and the resources and the scale of what you guys have at Cal Fire. It's truly impressive. You say a couple stats that were pretty amazing, like largest, you know, wildfire fighting force in, in the U.S. and just the size of how you guys have grown and responded to that population size, size of the forest. But you made a really good point, which I think is scalable probably to every program and all the people that are listening is you might have the best equipment in the world, which you guys do. You might have the largest size, which you do, but that's not, that alone isn't going to be the answer to building resilient communities and kind of fully answering that piece to the threat of wildfire. It's different programs, culturally changing, education, awareness. So maybe unpack that a little bit, because I think that's an encouraging note for people listening, whether it's municipal leaders, whether it's people in their respective roles that are responsible is Here's Cal Fire, 100 years, the legacy, the scale, the, the best of the best. And they've recognized, hey, you know, response is only one piece of the puzzle. It's, there's a lot of things that come, come to play there. So maybe unpack that a little bit is just because you got that, those dual roles that you play. Um, just maybe unpack that. A well, bit. and they integrate for us. Again, um, you know, it's a brag and, and we are proud of the fact that we have over 60 uh, airplanes and helicopters that fight fire, uh, you know, across the year that we have hundreds of fire engines and bulldozers, right? We are very proud of that. Um, but we also really have been working to use that, that same equipment for mitigation efforts. So when our firefighters aren't battling fires, they're out doing prescribed burning. Uh, when our bulldozers aren't building line around a wildfire, they're out creating fuel breaks. Uh, and so integrating our fire protection resources into fire prevention and into wildfire resiliency has been a, a, a critical component of, of our success because we, have, again, 11,000 people is a huge army that we have to, to battle uh, these wildfires that we have in these, these just major fire years. But it's also just this huge workforce that we can put to work to doing uh, projects and, and, and developing uh, safer communities. And so I think that's what's been really a success for us is really leveraging our own resources, our own firefighters, and our own personnel. Um, of course, in the middle of summer for us, they're going to be fighting fires. Saving people's lives and saving communities is going to be our priority. But if we can get those folks on in the winter months and in the spring months, and again, good good fire on the ground, uh, reduce overgrown vegetation, inspect homes for defensible space, um, these are these are why um, our, our huge amount of resources have become so critical in augmenting uh, our success. Yeah, and it's interesting when you say that because I've heard from a lot of wildfire professionals that it's it's really a full time job. It's not a three four month occupation. It's if done correctly, it's twelve months. It's putting good fire in the landscape, it's mitigation, it's education. And so I think that's something that's probably lost a lot of people is that wildfire is not just a summer thing, it's an annual thing. And I think that's, and, and naturally, like if you look at our his, history in BC, probably similar to California, 
traditionally we're fighting fires when before we never used to fight fires, whether that's late in the season, early in the season. So that even in itself is changing. But I think your point there of that 12 month is, is critical. And I think that's interesting that you guys have really implemented that. Well, and we're really having to start, stop using the word fire season because we really don't have a season anymore. It's a fire year. Hmm. And don't get me wrong, we have months that are rainy. We have times uh, and areas in higher elevation that get snow. In fact, this year uh, was some of um, the the uh, wettest years yeah. that we've had in, in history. And we had record-setting um, snow in areas that did its own level of damage that we had to, you know, do uh, snow removal and, and, you know, help get people evacuated from just significant winter storms. But even in those same areas, we've already started to see fires occur. And so it's it's just kind of crazy how we go from one extreme to the other. And it's crazy, but, you know, that is what we are experiencing in California. And I think we're experiencing it in many parts of, of the world related to a changing climate. It's, uh, you know, our governor likes to say the hots are getting hotter and the wets are getting wetter. The dries are getting drier. It's these extremes. And for us in California, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so when we can take opportunities when the weather conditions are right, um, to get in there and do fuel reduction before um, the traditional fire season, we do that. Every year is different. Again, this year in some areas has been great for us. Uh, you know, last fall, for example, uh, we did not get early rain, um, but we also got cooler temperatures. And so we were able to um, really successfully burn um, a significant amount of land in good fire, using prescribed fire under, you know, um, prescription. And and we wouldn't have had that if we had had hotter temperatures that the, that month, or if we had had early rain, it wouldn't have given us the, the the weather conditions to safely do that. And so those are things we can't control. Those are things that mother nature controls, and they're very hard uh, oftentimes to predict. And coming back to, again, our changing climate in California is we are seeing extremes. And so it can be very difficult for us to truly forecast um, when we're going to have opportunities to do this. But to your point, we have to be focused on it year round. And even if an area gets snow or even if an area gets uh, significant rain, it's not going to last forever. Yeah. And even the comment of it's not if, it's when. That's powerful. It's a little scary, but it's just the reality of the environment that we're when in. When we have to work in California to um, not have people become complacent, if they become over, uh, you know, uh, conditioned to wildfires in their area, mm. they may become complacent and not take action. Um, you know, if, uh, for example, a wildfire happens in their region every single year, but it never uh, burns down their home, they th may think that they're invincible to it. Mm -hmm. And so they start to stop listening to the messages. And so that's something that, you know, we seriously have to work on is making sure that our public awareness and our public participation, that we don't lose that because of how many fires we are getting. Uh, you know, every night in California, you practically can turn the news on and they're going to report on a wildfire somewhere in the state. Yeah. But every time you listen to it over and over and over and over again, it somewhat becomes white noise. Mm. And so we have to kind of break that to make sure that people understand that they do need to do something. And just because it's happening constantly doesn't mean you are helpless. There are steps that we've taken. In fact, we've put a lot of mitigation um, efforts into retrofitting and really new technologies and even best practices to continue to advance our efforts so that people can stay up on, on really making sure that they are prepared for fires and don't, again, just become complacent. You made a really good line or comment earlier on of it's not a fire season, it's a fire year. And I think you can almost pause there and let that sink into our listeners is the reality of where we are today. It's, it's a fire year. Maybe speak to, and you kind of had 
discussed already some of the initiatives and programs, and we probably talked off offline before the mics came on about the different programs that Cal Fire is, and, and your team has led. So you look at the fire year and you look at when you're not in fire response, what are some of the major programs that Cal Fire has seen success in um, early on? And so what are the just, yeah, what are those programs? What are those initiatives? We talked about fire wise, we talked about fire safe council. So I'm sure there's a three or four different podcasts we could do on all the different programs Cal Fire has done. So it's putting you in a difficult situation to say, Hey, tell me the most successful, but Maybe just articulate a little bit of, of what your team has done. Yeah, and I think it's a good point, too, that what we have found is it's not just one thing. A homeowner that's cleared vegetation around their home and has good defensible space, that's not good enough. If your home is built out of materials that are flammable and the embers catch the home on fire, even though you have clearance around your home, the home's still going to burn. And so it's really a a, a coordination or, or a, you know, a... a that there's that this fabric is woven together, if you will, of, of all these efforts. And so uh, defensible space is a big one for us. Clearing vegetation uh, around a home um, has been a requirement for a number of decades, um, you know, in California. And, and um, while that amount has changed and we've really changed some best practices, in fact, one of the things um, within the first um, five feet, which I think is about a meter and a half, maybe. Um, I was trying to look through my notes here. I have <laughs> it for my presentation on Friday, converted over. But we've, we're now requiring that there's nothing flammable within those first five feet of a home because what our science has shown and what our research has shown is that these embers um, that, that sometimes can uh, travel a mile away from the head of the fire tend to stay within about a five-foot radius of the home. And so if we can remove all the every vegetation, even a green plant, bark, mulch, um, even uh, flammable items like decking, uh, you know, patio furniture, for example. Get all that stuff five feet from the home. Uh, the home is, again, have a higher chance of surviving because those embers can't um, catch it on fire. So defensible spaces have been a big one. In California, we have led um, the nation and really um, even internationally with one of the most stringent, uh, and I shouldn't say one of, the most stringent building codes um, when it comes to wildland urban interface. Since 2008, all new construction has had to be built to this higher standard that uh, these, these buildings are built with materials um, that are essentially ember resistant. They, they can withstand, um, withstand embers, but also direct uh, flame. And so uh, whether that's the roofing materials, for example, whether that's um, you know, ensuring that uh, the siding of the home is built of fire resistant materials, that our windows are double paned, um, that we have metal screens over our vents. Again, just a, a couple examples. But most of the homes in California were built prior to this code. Uh, and so a big focus of ours has now been, how do we retrofit homes? So we've created a lot of uh, education and incentives to get people to make some of these modifications, but some of them can be costly. And how do we handle members of our community who uh, who can't afford to do this work, who can't physically do this work? And so the social vulnerable members of our community, we've really worked at figuring out how do we help them? Uh, and so one of the things we've created is a financial assistance program, looking at those high risk um, members of our community who can't afford to do it and providing um, providing the funds to actually retrofit homes. And so home hardening retrofits in combination with defensible space, um, a, a, key, uh, a key component, but also doing fuel reduction work. As I mentioned earlier on, our firefighters are out clearing brush every day. Uh, you know, even in the middle of, of, of summertime, the you know, peak of, of our fire year, uh, if they're not on a call, our firefighters are either training 
or they're out actually clearing brush. We're always doing projects. And so we've really increased the number of fuel breaks in and around communities, the prescribed fire that I mentioned in those, those other months. But one thing I, I wanna um, you know, really touch on that's really important to us um, is in addition to the home stuff that we've talked about, in addition to you know, the fuel reduction around communities, uh, is how we build communities in the first place. And, and our standards for development has, have become really critical, making sure that as we plan out more development. In California, like many parts of, of probably the, the, the world, you know, we have a housing crisis. There are more people than there are uh, access to affordable uh, places to live. And so there is a significant amount of growth continuing in California. And so as we are building more homes, building more neighborhoods, we want to make sure that we're building them in a way to prevent them from burning. Uh, and so our land use planning um, standards have really become a, a focus of ours of making sure that building officials and local planning officials who are not fire experts at all, that they are taking in best um you know, uh, best management um, decisions uh, and best practices, if you will, into building those communities. And so we've really added into our general plans, for example, have requirements for wildfires so that local planners in a city or a county, a municipal government, as they are planning out these neighborhoods that may not get built for 10, 20 years, that they're making sure that there's adequate emergency access, there's adequate water supply, there's adequate fire protection, that all these things that are gonna be uh, critical so that if when a fire breaks out, these folks can safely evacuate. And so again, it's for us in, in, in the community wildfire preparedness space, it's really back to focus on what do people do on their individual homes, but as we build neighborhoods, what do we do to make sure that uh, that is in a planning tool that we're focused. And then one last piece that I'll mention is a problem we've had in the last five to six years is a growing number of ignitions from utility infrastructure, power lines um, sparking wildfires in, in various reasons. And obviously uh, changing climate uh, with extreme winds, uh, you know, knocks down power infrastructure. You have uh, overgrown vegetation that's drier, so it's more susceptible to burning. And so we've really done a lot in California to, um, you know, push our, our privately owned utility companies uh, to enhance their vegetation management around their, their lines and around their infrastructure for them to harden their infrastructure. Oftentimes that is completely putting lines underground uh, in, in money areas. And so, you know, these are just a few of the dozens, if you will, initiatives um, that are all part of our community resiliency uh, portfolio. Wow. It is amazing as you list off all the initiatives, how many and, and how much is needed. It's short-term, it's long-term, it's community planning. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty powerful here. And I think some similarities are, we've learned about them in, in BC, but you guys at Cal Fire have been, you know, you're, I, I don't use the word farther ahead, but you've experienced some of these things before and you're starting to put uh, systems in place to be proactive and not just respond. But one thing you highlighted, which I think is a nice segue to, we're at the FireSmart conference. We're focused on the FireSmart principles. You know, changing social behavior, changing behavior at the homeowner level can always be a challenge. Like you talked about, everyone's different. We're all facing different challenges. And sometimes it can be overwhelming to think, what can I do as a homeowner? What can I do as a community to make a difference, to be more resilient? They look at Cal Fire and say 11,000 people. Hey, that that responsibility you know, totally falls on Cal Fire. When in reality, those homeowners and communities can take a big responsibility to, to make their area more fire resilient. So talk about a couple of programs, and I've written down two here, the FireWise and the Fire Safe Council, that essentially is similar to FireSmart. There's aligned principles. 
Um, maybe unpack those two programs a little bit. Yeah. So in California, uh, we have uh, what are called California or what are called fire safe councils. Um, and these are grassroots community uh, organizations uh, that are really just neighbors coming together, forming an alliance, if you will, uh, and, and focusing on mitigating uh, wildfires within their own um, within their own community. And so for about two to maybe even three decades now, um, we have we've built up um, these fire safe councils across California and, and building them up to, to be now several hundred um, across our state. And um, we've really worked to partner with these folks uh, and partner with these community-based organizations um, and, and provide them funding. You know, some people are going to listen when, when, you know, we run a, a public message uh, or we send an inspector to somebody's house, um, you know, the authority that we bring, people listen. But also it's really important some people don't. Some people don't want the government to tell them what to do. Um, some people have a higher trust level uh, with their own community members. And so the Fire Safe Councils have become a, a, an important key uh, strategy for us because if we can arm uh, informed community members who can then inform the rest of their community as the trusted source, it's just one more way that people are getting um, the message. You mentioned FireWise. We have uh, nationwide uh, a, a uh, program called FireWise, and it essentially is uh, a neighborhood uh, groupings of, of homes, um, a neighborhood organization coming together, and they do an analysis um, and, and analyze their risk of wildfires, and they put together a plan of, of attack of what they're going to do. And what FireWise uh, communities have really done is kind of bring at an even smaller, granular level than even fire safe councils. So, you know, go from a city, but now to a much smaller, just a neighborhood of 20, 30 homes, and you, you arm them with being able to educate themselves. They know the person who lives next door. They know that that person might, that neighbor needs additional help and, and they can help, you know, kind of help themselves, if you will. And then getting this designation as a FireWise community has really become incentivized, especially in California. We have a major insurance uh, crisis where it is very difficult um, to access or even to be able to afford uh, wildfire home insurance. Uh, in some cases, uh, we've had significant amount of people who have lost their insurance altogether. But in other cases, those that are able to maintain it, it now costs three to four times as much as it did just a couple years ago. But when uh, our communities get this designation, this FireWise designation, or are, have active fire safe councils or other mitigation, community-based level mitigations, uh, they are able to actually get incentives in their insurance. And so to us, that's become a, a really important way for us to incentivize. Again, my agency, we can enforce, but it's so much better when we have uh, areas that incentivize. So the Fire Safe Council is very similar to Fire Smart and the FireWise. Again, they have very overlapping um, similarities where it's let's arm the community with information and let them do it. We've been very fortunate, as I mentioned, uh, just a significant amount of infusion of funding, $2.7 billion, to really provide a lot of money to local organizations to do their own local specific programs, all under the banner of wildfire preparedness, all under the same um, foundational um, steps that we require, whether that be that defensible space, that home hardening, uh, but they're able to localize it to exactly the message uh, and the impact that's needed within that neighborhood. And so for us, like FireSmart, that has been a, a key 
uh, strategy for us. Um, but helping build that capacity. So, you know, back to another issue that we have in California is not all California is the same. You have areas in, in Southern California along the coast, for example, that, you know, may have multi-million dollar mansions. But then you have other areas uh, in Northern California that are more rural that, that can't afford to do this type of work. Even homeowners that, that maybe inherited their home that can't afford to retrofit their home, they can't afford to do defensible space. Um, so they don't have the, the resources to even get grants to do this work. And so building capacity at these at the Fire Safe Council level and at these county levels has been an important part for us. In fact, this uh, just this past year, uh, we have funded what's called a wildfire coordinator in all counties. So uh, how California is structured and government-wise, of course, we have the federal government, the United States. California is the state. Um, within California, we have 58 counties. Uh, and then there are cities that are within counties. But we have uh, funded uh, each of those counties for their own person. It's not a Cal Fire employee. It's their own person that is funded to help meet with all the fire safe councils within their county, hmm. with all the FireWise communities, and to try to build up the capacity for more of them. Uh, back to FireWise, we're really proud because we lead the nation. Um, we have the most FireWise communities uh, in California than, than any other state. Um, we have over 600 designated FireWise communities, but there are thousands of neighborhoods mm -hmm. in California. And so we still have a long ways to go, but building the capacity, again, back to especially those that are socially vulnerable, that are disadvantaged, that are low income, uh, that has been um, a, a, a true success that we've already started to see some, um, some, some payoffs because now they can access the, these dollars that have become available. Now they can do this work. Now they can protect our community. It's pretty impressive to see the 600 FireWise kind of designations. I think that's probably a great parallel to to FireSmart and the growth of the program here. For your team and your organization, you've kind of had the opportunity to see the growth of both those programs. And it's a, it's a cultural change. You have to educate, you have to engage. You said you have the ability to enforce, but preferably you're wanting to educate, engage, and get that awareness. Looking back, what's been some of the biggest success metrics or what's been some of the best kind of initiatives, tools, campaigns? What have you found kind of looking back to say, hey, this really worked, this really moved the needle. You talked about people quickly can forget, hey, all these fire students continually come up. But looking back for those two programs, what's been some of the yeah, key success, key initiatives, and then what can we take within the Fire Smart BC program or people all across BC and in Canada to, to take those lessons forward? Yeah, about five years ago, we developed uh, a program that we call our Wildfire Prevention Grant Program. And it essentially is, is just a funding mechanism for local organizations, whether it be a fire safe council, a firewise uh, community, a nonprofit group, uh, a tribal entity, uh, or just a local government, uh, and providing funding uh, for their own local projects. And why that's been so impactful for us is because we only have so much resources in ourselves. And we can do a lot, right? We, we work to um, do hundreds of fuel reduction projects up and down the state, uh, but by funding and providing resources to local entities, to tribal entities, we've empowered them to take a stand to do their own, um, do their own effort that meets their needs. All of it rolls up within our own uh, states. We have a, a, a state 
uh, fire plan, a strategic fire plan that kind of lays out overarching goals of what we want to see in California. Uh, but by funding local projects, it really gets, gives local ownership. There's buy-in. Uh, and we've really found a, a significant amount of success. In, in the early days of that program, we granted uh, anywhere from 5 to $10 million. We've really um, beefed that up in the last couple of years. Um, this year, we'll grant likely about $120 million. Of course, U.S. dollars, uh, but our uh, need is still well outpacing the funding, but we've been very fortunate to have this money. And so, yeah, there's a lot of cool things we're doing and a, and a lot of impactful things, but honestly, the ability for the state to provide local funds to fire safe councils, tribal entities, local governments has really been impactful because it really creates that pride and ownership in these projects that can withstand not just uh, one-time funding, but their their loyalty, if you will, to the, the project of, of keeping it maintained for the years to come. Talk about the importance of the local level. You kind of had highlighted that those grants and kind of empowering those communities. What's 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 the perspective there? Is talk about the power of the local level, the community level, and 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 maybe your learnings there. Well, you know, our community based organizations um, are are so critical uh, for us, especially in the mitigation space. Back to these fire safe councils that we have. These are just average people who have other jobs, but they are dedicated to to just protecting their their families, to protecting their 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 neighbors. Uh, and so we've really found this partnership to be um, you know a, a true success. Kind of, you know, circling back to one of the other comments again, we as a state organization and as a very large organization, um, you know, we, 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 we bring a lot of resources to the table, but we can't do it alone. Um, and even when we have wildfires, we don't battle wildfires, just Cal fire. We rely heavily on our local fire agencies, on the federal, uh, fire agencies, on our tribal entities, on our volunteer fire departments. And so, you know, what we have learned over the decades in the wildfire space of, of response and suppression and protection is the same that we are really trying to model in, in the mitigation, which is it can't just be Cal fire doing it. It can't just be the state government or, or the government just doing what they want to do. It has to be across the board with all entities. Uh, in California, uh, we uh, established a wildfire uh, and forest um, task force, a wildfire resilience task force. Uh, and it is led by tribal, local, state, and federal leaders. And the membership you know, spans across um, those same four levels of government. And what we have found is that we are more successful when we're working together, when we come up with a shared and unified uh, strategy, a shared set of goals, and more importantly, a shared set of objectives. And working together, we can accomplish a lot more than you doing your projects, me doing my projects, them doing their projects. Working together, uh, we, we can ban all those resources to really leverage getting more work on the ground. You know, one of the things that's really important to mention that even in the state, Cal Fire is the state's fire agency, but we have a lot of other state entities. Uh, we have a parks department mm -hmm. uh, that manages uh, a, a number of state parks that people recreate. We have a fish and wildlife department that, that owns land for, for wildlife. 
And so really this funding that we uh, that I talk about, the $2.7 million, is spread out over really 22 state departments. And so it's not just on the back of Cal Fire. We are really an all-hands approach in-state government of leveraging our state conservancies, our, our parks department, our conservations department. Um, heck, even the um, military department in California plays a role. And mostly for fire protection, we, we take National Guard troop members uh, and we train them up as firefighters and they go out and fight fire but they also do a significant amount of fuel reduction as well. And so uh, spreading it out over multiple entities, not just focused on just fire um, and across all levels of government has really been a success, uh, not just in California, but in many other areas. I, I like the line you communicated, which is we don't do it all alone. I think it's encouraging. I think it's a fair assessment of how we fight fire nowadays. And I think parallel to the conference we're in today, which is, the theme of the summit is really partners in progress. That's, I've already seen it come up in keynotes. I've seen it come up in conversations already. It's just partnership and progress and those small steps. It's pretty overwhelming to say, how do we go from you know zero to 100? And it's just those small steps and so small wins. And I think the partnership pieces you alluded to perfectly, which is it's not just Cal Fire, it's all of our partners. So maybe expand on that a little bit and tie it into our theme at the summit, which is just we're all partners. And we have to, in order to create a resilient province, a resilient state, is it takes more than just one entity. And it takes, you know, behind the scenes, you as an operational lead, you're going to see all the moving parts, how they all have to fit together, the command and control, the dialogue. So maybe just talk about how those agencies have to work together and any recommendations or lessons learned as, as you guys have scaled that tie to the conference today. Well, say, you know, just in, in uh, you know, one day here of, of listening to some of the initiatives that are underway here in British Columbia, it's very clear that there are these very strong partnerships and relationships. Uh, and, you know, in California, obviously we've had decades of wildfires. And so, you know, I, I, I don't think we do it better than anybody else. We may be uh, further along in the timelines as far as having the impact from wildfires and having to uh, really um, beef up and augment our response and, and, and our, our strategies. Um, but it takes sometimes decades of, of, of relationship building, of trust building. Um, you know, even for us in California, you know, we have um, between levels of government, between different communities, different levels of trust. And so sometimes it takes a long time to build that trust to truly have a partnership. And it's one thing to say, we work together. That's really easy to say, right? And there's a lot of buzzwords. Partnership is a good one. But investing the time to really get to know the people, understand the problems, and then come together to work on the solution that's a unified solution, it takes work. Uh, and that's one of the things that we've, we have experienced. Back to our, our task force, why it is so beneficial is that it's not us just saying we're going to work together. It's us investing the time to say, well, what do you think? Having difficult conversations. Again, I may think my idea is the best and your idea is really a bad idea, but getting outside of our comfort zone to have difficult conversations to understand why it is you're so passionate about it, and then trying to work together to truly collaborate. Again, uh, you know, collaborate, partnership, these are all words that I do think have become really important buzzwords as of late, but they are really important for us to truly be able to be successful. At the end of the day, at least in California, our community doesn't care if a Cal Fire engine shows up in their neighborhood. They don't care if it's a local fire department or if it's the United States Forest Service. They don't really care who pays those firefighters. They just want a firefighter to respond. 
Uh, and it's the same in mitigation. It doesn't really matter who gets the credit. It doesn't really matter who is doing the work. It matters that we are unified in doing it together and that we're meeting the needs and objectives uh, you know, of, of the community. And that can be difficult. Like I said, back to, mm. we are proud of being the largest fire department, right? I've mentioned that several times. It's a low-key brag. Yeah. We love that we have Cal Fire written on the side of C-130s. We're proud of that. But more importantly, we are proud that we are successful in mitigating emergencies, in preventing fires. Because yes, we bring this well-branded equipment with a huge army of people, but we're bringing it side, shoulder to shoulder with our tribal leaders, with our uh, federal partners, uh, with our local uh, fire safe councils, and together we're taking that initiative. And so, um, you know, I guess I come back to your question is, you know, the answer really is, from my perspective at least, is it just takes time to build those relationships. And you may not see fruitful results for years to come, uh, but building that trust and building those relationships are really what I think are helping us be successful of um, being strategic in what we're doing and not being wasteful, um, but really truly being efficient because we're working together. Tying it a bit to your personal story, and, and maybe this will probably align with Cal Fire's history of, of fire as well as for you and your career journey, how long have you been with Cal Fire? So I actually started when I was 18 years old. Um, so, um, you know, well over now uh, 20 years. Uh, and I started in fire prevention, um, you know, kind of even taking a step back. Uh, as a kid, I can remember being evacuated from wildfires and so being, you know, impacted from wildfires. But I've spent my entire career in various programs within our organization in various um, roles, but all of them focused on prevention and, and preventing, uh, you know, wildfires. And so to me, um, the, the entire uh, conference that you have, but more importantly, the entire initiative of, of what um, the province is doing is really encouraging to me because that's what I think we all have to do um, to really protect our communities is, is come together and, and, and really focus on those mitigations um, early on. It's powerful to hear that early age you were had an experience, traumatic experience with, with fire, and now you're in a role that... Well, even not just early on, I'd interrupt you. I mean, I've had, uh, last year and the year before that, I had wildfires um, burn onto my, my property. I don't you know, live uh, on a huge... Uh, you know, a huge amount of uh, land. Uh, I live in a neighborhood, um, but two back-to-back -back fires. One of them um, mm. destroyed my back fence. Um, wow. 100 and, uh, I was going to say feet, but I'm not going to know the translation, but uh, a significant amount of fence um, destroyed by the fire. Fortunately, my defensible space uh, and the quick attack of our firefighters saved it. Wow. But I've had this unique uh, and unfortunate uh, experience in the last couple of years of wildfires affecting my own family. So yes, I can go back to when I was a kid and the impacts then, um, and those have those have stayed with me over the decades. And, and really the reason why I'm in the job that I am in now, and again, that focus on fire prevention is, is those you know interactions as, as a small kid, but even more recently as an adult and, and you know having my own family be immediately impacted, having destruction on my own home, having the challenges of getting insurance, it all unfortunately is a continuous reminder and, and learning process for me of what it is that I need to do at a statewide level to help protect other neighborhoods, not just my family, but other neighborhoods in California all through my direct experiences, but mine are not the only experiences. And that's where, you know, we really spend time to listen to others and make sure that, that um, you know, the experiences of my team uh, the um, the knowledge of my team is really um, you know added with 
what the community's voice wants to say. Going to those experiences you just highlighted of a fire actually coming to your home, it's impacting your family. Does that give a certain level of pride to the work that you do? Is that, it's got to make it personal. It definitely makes it, um, you know, it definitely makes it personal. And I think it actually, um, you know, let's come back to defensible space, that clearing the dead grass around, uh, around my home was something. For 20 years, I have been telling people, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. I have seen homes saved because they had defensible space, right? So I have experience in it. I have knowledge in it. The science, you know, I participate in. But actually being able to have my own home impacted, my own family having, you know, the, the fear of, of what might happen uh, and having to evacuate, to me it's just, um, uh, it, it really just reiterates why these are such critical steps that we have to take towards wildfire resiliency. And so it just has reaffirmed my, my, my beliefs of the importance uh, of mitigation. And I say mine, but again, that's shared across my team. That's shared across our department, our, our director uh, as well. Really, you know, uh, you know, in every opportunity uh, he can, re-emphasizes to all of our troops, you may want to be here because you're a firefighter and you want to respond to emergencies, but it's all about providing protection to our communities and making sure that, you know, we are doing fire prevention as a part of, of our strategy. And so again, I can tell a story as mine, mm-hmm. but it's really many uh, uh, folks. I mean, I have people on my team who have lost their homes from wildfires. And so my little story of uh, a fence being destroyed is nothing compared to the tragedy of, of people actually losing all their possessions. And I think that it's an unfortunate, again, uh, you know, reaffirmation that that's why we are doing what we are doing. And more importantly, that we are actually able to see the successes of where this work does, um, does uh, help in, in protecting homes. I think every podcast I do with wildfire professionals, they have stories, um, good stories, bad stories. But one theme that always comes up and always leaves me an impression on myself is fire smart principles work. Like the amount of stories I've heard from people and, you know, even just touring, like you see when work has been invested, whether it's small tasks, big tasks, you know, all the significant programs you've spoken about over the last little bit, like these principles work. They're scientifically proven. There's real test case scenarios. The scenario you just shared where you've been communicating probably to your community of here's the things to do and then you see that. So I think for me, it's always that level of it, it works and how do you get that message out there? And that's those two pieces. So anything that jumps out at, out at you on that, on that piece at all? Well, you know, I think one thing you just said that I think is really important is that these are really science-backed mitigations that, that, that I've talked about and that, that we're doing here. Um, you know, we've invested a significant amount of time and energy uh, and partnership with a number of, of entities back in the United States to really make sure that we're we are applying um, not just experiences of what we see and what our firefighters have have witnessed, but more importantly, that the research and the science backs this up. As I talked about, you know, we are working on um, this additional uh, immediate zone around homes where there's nothing flammable within about, again, just less than maybe a two meter um, you know, space. And that's because of research and science, not just us saying we saw it and now we're going to tell you to do it, but because the, the science is there, the research is there. And that's been a very important, um, important thing for us to be really data driven, uh, and to make science-based decisions. And I, I would hope that that has helped our community know that again, these are not just best practices that we as the fire department or the authority are telling you to do, 
but that science is leading us to the decisions uh, and the requirements that we are uh, requiring and enforcing. On that note of the, the science piece, so you have scientific evidence, fire smart principles work. Culturally, you have results to showcase. Here's how we educate and engage a population to, to take those steps. Now, in light of both those pieces, CAL FIRE and, and California as a whole is, is, is maybe not advanced is the word, but has seen a lot more fire than British Columbia has, has had, you know, horrific and, and, and challenging situations. So you're at the conference today, you, you have a, a, a room, six, 700 people of wildfire professionals. Difficult question for you, Daniel, but looking backwards, if you could talk to a body of people and say, what have I learned? What would I recommend? Like, these are the things to do. Big question, but we've got a group of people that are, you know, looking to Cal Fire as you guys have amazing level of resources, financial people, manpower, equipment, best resources. What would you say to our group and our and even the podcast audience is, here's what I've seen works. Here's what we know works. Here's where Cal Fire is kind of being innovative. Um, big question. I know it could be a whole podcast within this question, but something to kind of round out our conversation is we're a group looking to you guys to say, what have you done? What have you found? And, you know, we want to learn from from the experts. We want to lean on, you know, why do we need to, to learn when you guys have already learned? So what would you kind of say to that? Well, I, you know, I just re would reiterate, you're not going to respond your way out of it. Mm. But you have to have a strong response element. Um, but it's really back to that collaboration um, uh, amongst levels of, of government, but also incorporating uh, indigenous and uh, community-based organizations to be successful. And so while I had nothing to do with the title of the conference, this whole idea of partnership is the path that we are on and that we have been on, and it has been fruitful in the successes that we have been making. And so, yes, we have had decades now of experience of just devastating, destructive fires, and we've learned from them. We, we passed new ordinances. We passed new requirements from fires that we had two decades ago. But then the climate changes continue. Mm. And so we have more fires and then we learn from them and then we make more uh, investments in suppression resources, but then also uh, in, in the funding that we have for mitigation. And then more importantly, we, we turn around and we add more requirements, uh, regulations, uh, you know, and or just best practices to make sure that we are keeping our communities uh, safe, keeping our residents um, safe, because we're not gonna be able to prevent every wildfire. Right, that's just that's not possible. Um, but if we can reduce the severity of these wildfires, and if we do that back through partnerships, mm. we do that through mitigation, we do that through response. That's going to really make a measurable change in the dial of just keeping the beautiful lands that we live in, that we that we recreate in, um, that we call home, keeping them pristine. I love the simplicity of the answer, which is you can't respond your way out of it. And it's it's a humbling answer, but it's it's the fair answer. It's the realistic answer. We can't respond our way out of it. And I think your line there is is powerful in itself, but the concept of we can't prevent every wildfire, but we can reduce the severity is probably a great takeaway for everyone is that's the encouraging piece is those are things we can impact. We can reduce fuel loads. We can put good fire in the landscape. We can educate people all across wherever we call home and to say, here's what you can do. So there's things we can do. And that's a huge workload. I mean, you guys have a team of 11,000 people, probably could be 30,000 people and there's probably still be a to-do list at the end of it. But I think those are big takeaways to where it's easily like you can sit there and be overwhelmed and be like, what are we, you know, what, what can we do? But it's just chipping away and it's in this, those learnings. 
And I think it's really important to not become overwhelmed. Again, you know, when we talk about some of the root causes of changing climate, for example, you know, that can turn people off. I can't, I can't myself make, you know, change the temperature and the increase or the length of, of, of summer months, which is what we have in the, you know, part of our issue in California, but knowing that there are actually um, measurable and significant things, steps that even a homeowner can take at their own home to truly increase uh, the chance of their home and their family surviving a wildfire makes it, uh, I think, arms us with, with information, informs us with, with things we can do that truly can make a difference. It's not this giant global thing that, that we can't as an individual change because we can, because again, it starts at home. It starts where you live. And even if you live in an area that has not historically seen wildfire, even if you live in a more urban area, wildfires are starting to impact more and more places where they never have before. And going again, back to the the California analogy, We've seen fires for decades, but we're experiencing fires in regions of California that historically never saw them or did not see them at this size and severity. And so it's coming back to just don't become overwhelmed. These these things that you do starting at home and in your community truly do make a difference. We have been seeing that fire after fire now in the last couple of years, uh, even just last year, while the weather helped us. And while our uh, augmentation and fire protection resources helped us, the fuel breaks, the defensible space, uh, all of those were key factors in why we were able to reduce the size of wildfires and the destruction of wildfires last year in our, in our state, but more importantly, the number of structures uh, and the fatalities uh, as a result of those fires. Amazing. We covered a lot. I, uh, I look at my notes here. I've got four pages of scribbles, and I realize that this could have been a three-part series in our conversation. But I hope that people are encouraged, like you said, um, from what you had communicated. Here's Cal Fire to say there are things we can do. We're learning. We're adapting. Your organization clearly is adjusting and how you respond, and it's, it's a cultural thing. You said you're getting fires in areas of California you never saw before, so how you respond has to change as well too. But I'm definitely feeling encouraged and just – it's clear you have a passion. Um, I'm sure that's shared across all of Cal Fire. The people that are there is, you know, they're there because they have a passion for it and they're skilled. And I think that's an awesome uh, thing to hear. But I hope our listeners can just understand of you guys are advanced in, in your head of, of where we are just because you started to experience it more and we can learn from. We're on the right path. You know, British Columbia Fire Smart, the program, we're doing the things that, that you guys do at an earlier scale. We're on the right path. It works scientifically, culturally. So I, yeah, I just want to say thanks. Number one, thanks for coming yeah, thank to uh, to Vancouver, Canada, to share to share your knowledge. I think that goes back to the word partnership. Is there's a it's just a shared responsibility globally. It doesn't matter where you're from. Is fire doesn't care where you're from. It's gonna come and it's gonna it's gonna do what it does. But any last kind of comments, feedback, insights? Um, you got a couple of busy days ahead. You're gonna be speaking to the conference and sharing a lot of insights. You know, maybe we'll steal you back up for another episode. But any last comments, thoughts, encouragement? You know, I, I just, I think it's really important that we are so honored to be here. Uh, and again, just because we are large in size and just because we have a lot of experience of, of destruction of wildfires, um, we are here to learn as well. And we look forward to really being able to, to leverage this partnership that we have with, um, you know, BC Wildfire Services and bring some of the stuff you're doing. Again, some of the collaboration, especially with your Indigenous, um, you know, tribal communities is something that um, in some areas of California we could do better in. And so really trying to make sure that, um, you know, we are continuously learning 
because coming back to it, it is a changing climate. And so when change means we're going to have to continuously learn on how do we do better. And so um, we appreciate uh, the invitation and, and it's just such a beautiful country and a beautiful opportunity. And of course, everybody is welcome to come to California and visit us uh, at, at any time and, and see for, uh, for yourselves what we are doing and what our residents um, you know, are doing as well. Amazing. Last comment would be, we talked about a lot. Uh, we're going to try and link to as many resources that you highlighted and uh, different initiatives. But for those listening, where can people go to learn more about Cal Fire, maybe some of the programs that your team is responsible for? Any quick recommendations or where to go? Yeah, so um, our website is uh, osfm.fire.ca.gov. I know that's a mouthful. That's the Office of the State Fire Marshal's uh, website where you can learn more about wildfire prevention, um, but learn more also about Cal Fire in general. Uh, but then also we have a website called Ready for wildfire.org. And on there, uh, we provide to our residents a lot of tips on defensible space, home hardening, evacuation planning, and just all of the wildfire resiliency mitigation um, steps. And again, while it is focused on our California residents, my guess is there's a, a one or two pieces of information that, um, that even a, a Canadian homeowner or resident uh, might find useful. Amazing. Well, thanks again for coming and for sharing your insights and lessons learned to the whole conference and into our podcast. It was awesome chatting Thanks. with you and seeing your passion and, and learning a lot about what you guys are doing. So thank you. Thanks.